That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, I guess the question that we're really trying to uh, to get at is how do we engage a culture that is lost and on its way to hell? And, uh, of course, we've been looking at some of the things. It's, it's really good for, for us. You know, last week we, we looked at uh, prophecy and how prophecy proves Scripture. And we just looked at just a few. Uh, we didn't even really delve into the many, many passages. We didn't even get into the uh, messianic prophecies, which are just incredible. We just looked at some of the things that have happened to nations as far as judgments are concerned and how God has uh, uh, worked in all of that and, and using the rulers of the world uh, who were maybe unbelievers, who might have come believers after that, uh, maybe not. But um, what we look at now is realizing that we want to be built up in God's Word so we can answer each other and also answer questions uh, as far as Scripture is concerned to the, the, to the lost world. And so that's the question. How do we engage some of the things that are going on out in the world? If, if, you, if you're asked what, uh, what's going on, uh, can you biblically give a good response? And uh, we look at, I think, modern evangelism today. And, of course, how many of you uh, have heard of this? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> We've probably discussed that a few times. But um, sometimes people um, want to make people feel at ease and with, with Christianity. And they will say such things as, well, Jesus will give you peace which is true. Jesus will give you joy, which is absolutely true. Jesus will give you happiness. Um, People like to hear those kind of things. Uh, uh, If you become a Christian, God will heal your marriage if you have marriage problems. Uh, If you're having financial problems, when you become a Christian, everything will be okay and and God will heal your financial problems. Um, All that is is just an enhancement of ourselves. Um, Yes, God can do those things, but that's not what the point is all about, is it? When we follow Christ, uh, we want those problems, such as marriage problems, to be treated in a biblical way and and that the glory of God could be seen in in working out that. How about uh, people who have addiction problems? Um, if, If we just say, hey, God can take that away from you. Well, we know that He can, but if they're just wanting to follow Christ because they can get problems taken care of, then we're not really giving them the full truth of the matter. We want to give them the truth. Uh, R.C. Sproul said, Scratching people where they itch and addressing their felt needs is a strategy of the poor steward of the oracles of God. You're a poor steward, he's saying, if you're just offering something for the felt needs. And he went on to say this. I thought this was pretty good. This was the recipe for success of the Old Testament prophets. <laughs> As, and we're talking about the false prophets. The ones who really had success were the ones, and I put quotes, were the ones who said, oh, there's nothing bad going to happen. God's not going to judge us and everything's going to go okay. And that wasn't the true. The true prophets had to tell them the news that they were to repent and turn to God. And uh, people didn't like that, did they? That was not a favorable uh, message. Uh, Well, when we tell lost sinners God loves them so much, we're telling the truth. Uh, I mean, God does love 
But at the same time, uh, we also say, well, God sent His Son to die in your place. Well, that can be true, but it seems to be of little relevance because they're wondering, well, why? (laughs) You know, we need to tell them where they're really at uh, before they hear any kind of good news. And you think of uh, the book of Acts, which reveals a good way of how the Gospel was presented early on in in the church. And in Acts 14.22... Here you have um, disciples coming. Um, You have Paul and Barnabas and they're uh, going to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And verse 22 says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples there, encouraging them to continue in the faith. That's good, isn't it? And saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So he's telling them there's going to be tribulations as you are a Christian in uh, in this world, and uh, there's going to be some real struggles, and um, and yet at the same time he's encouraging them. He says you're going to go through many of those kind of things. And um, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Hall of Faith, and you have Moses being illustrated, which is an Old Testament character, which is what Hebrews 11 is showing the people of faith. Some of the things that uh, they lived by that where they didn't see anything, but um, they believed God anyway. Of course, Abraham being one, but he uses Moses. And it says in verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, Pharaoh, for he endured as seeing him, God, who is unseen. And... Um, That's verse 27. That's living by faith. But look in verse 25. Look what he did. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He gave up some of those passing pleasures of sin while he was kind of in the king's court, the Pharaoh's court, um, as he had all sorts of opportunities to do really anything that he wanted. And he gave that up as he uh, endured ill treatment with the people of God. So it, it can happen when you're a Christian that you might be treated very unfairly from the world. You can expect it. Um, so we can say, well, who in the world is going to listen to a message that we have if we truly be honest about the Christian life? Who's going to want that if we don't come up and say, God has a great plan for you and He loves you and just believe in Him. And if we say that, it sounds a lot better rather than coming in and saying they have to be made righteous because they are not righteous. As a matter of fact, they're very sinful and they will be judged in the sinful state that they are and they will be sent to hell for eternity. Uh, we have to talk about righteousness rather than just rather than happiness. Everybody wants to be happy, but happiness is really not the issue here. It is the righteousness of Christ. And isn't that why the church is in such bad shape now? People are falling away because they go to church because they're told that we're going to make everything else right. They're going to be happy and they're going to have money and everything is going to be great. And they got there and it didn't happen. That's right. We still are. Yeah. And if we make promises like we don't know what's going to happen. 
It uh, it might very well get get worse. But the the thing is, is that righteousness. While we're living here on this earth, knowing that we have been declared righteous by God, even though we know our, our standing, but Him declaring us righteous before a holy God, I can't think of anything better to know in, in, in that sense of where He has put me. But most people don't want that sense of righteousness. Um, if if we tell them that God hates sin and God punishes sinners with eternal torment. And we say what uh, was... You guys remember Pilgrim's Progress? We studied that way back when, a few years ago. And it was, what was Christian saying, or, or, or the Pilgrim? Flee from what? From the wrath to come. As he left his little town and he left his household, he said, flee from the wrath to come. He knew that there was going to be judgment. And that was John Bunyan putting out the fact that that is part of the message. It's flee from the wrath to come, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So how can we tell people who are on their way to hell that God has a wonderful plan for their lives, but they have to repent and trust in Christ? So there's repentance and... um, that issue means that they have to see what who they have to turn to and what they turn from. And of course, in uh, the church today, we've heard the phrase, make a decision for Christ. Make a decision for Christ. And within this generation, within the last hundred years or so, church, church growth has maybe sometimes looks like it's done pretty well. Sometimes you get some big numbers. Now I'm understanding that's kind of going back the other way now, but uh, one year, this was quite a few years ago, there were like supposed to have been, let's say, 294,000 decisions for Christ in, in one year. And for that year, that sounds pretty good. Uh, the only thing is, uh, when they go and study those and they try to find out where those people are at who made decisions for Christ, 80 to 90% have fallen away or they're, they're unaccountable for. They don't go to church anywhere. Their, their names don't come up in, in any situation like that. Only uh, out of that, uh, was it 294,000? Only 14,000 were found attending churches while the 280,000 were unaccounted for. Um, and I think offering a, a cheap gospel has probably a lot to do with that. I think we have lost the key to evangelism. When I say we, I'm saying the, the body of Christ. And Penny was saying they're not offering the, the, the same message that we see that's offered here in, in Scripture. So that's modern evangelism, and not that everybody has it wrong. I'm not saying that, but I, we, we've got to that point because we want to make people feel good. We want to meet their their needs, and so therefore we say things that uh, and promise things that may not even come about whatsoever. There is a biblical evangelism. There is a true evangelism, and the key to reaching the lost. Uh, can be found, for instance, in uh, Luke 11.52. Luke 11.52. 
This is Jesus. And you remember that many times He said woes, W-O-E, to the lawyers, Pharisees, the scribes and such. And in verse 52, as Jesus is speaking, He says, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Now that is a terrible situation. These are the elite people of uh, the religion, of the Judaism, of the nation of Israel. They're the lawyers. They're supposed to know the Torah. They're supposed to know what, of course at their time it was not called the Old Testament, that's what we think of. But they were to know the law. And what, what he says here is that they have taken away the key of knowledge as far as, as the law is concerned or the Word of God where you get the knowledge. And you, don't, you didn't enter. Uh, they took it away from the people of what the truth was to uh, who God is and what He really wants for their lives. And John 10, you have Jesus speaking there. And of course, in, in John 10, we get the I am the good shepherd. The shepherd uh, section. And in verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now there is, that's the person of Christ. We know we have to enter the kingdom through Him. Um, he is the door. He is the only way. Can't go through in any other way. So He's the one who is the door. He's the one who is the key. He's the only way that we can get in this way. And... Um, in Luke 11.52, we said that the lawyers took away the key and refused the people from entering in the kingdom. Jesus even charges the Pharisees at times that they had bent the law out of shape even though they were using it. They were making it for their own good. So they took the law and distorted it and made it say something that wasn't. Last week, as we talked about prophets, uh, some of the, the things that were said and that we can look back and say, look at this. This was um, prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Or maybe just a few years before it happened. Either way, it's an amazing thing that that was pre-written history. It was, it was said, it was stated before it happened, then it happened. We can look at that and say, that's something we really can hang on. Isn't that great? And we know that Scripture is true for over and over and over. And there's no other religion that has any kind of prophecy like this that's, that's really detailed and you can really uh, know what it is where it names names and cities and uh, places and um, that's that's the prophets. Now, the law is another way to bring forth uh, God's truth. In the Old Testament, uh, that's what you see. It's divided up really in two basic sections if you want to narrow it down to two. Sometimes it's broken up with more. But those are saying here is what the Old Testament is. It's the law and the prophets, right? Go into Acts and right at the end of Acts chapter 28... Twenty-eight, Uh I believe this is when Paul was uh, imprisoned. And uh, he said, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging. People were coming to him where he was staying at. House arrest or whatever. 
They were coming to Him in His lodging in large numbers. Don't you like that? They're coming to Him. Wouldn't you love that if people came to your house wanting to know the truth of the Gospel? But they, they were just gathering there. God was sending them there. And look at this. He was explaining to them, expounding the Word of God. You know that's what He's doing. By solemnly testifying about the Kingdom of God. Right? And, and we know uh, back in Israel... The kingdom of God was to be offered to the people. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right in your presence. It's right here. And the lawyers were trying to keep the people out of the kingdom of God and they even kept themselves out. Uh, Here he says he's testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them. That's a good thing to try to do. Try to persuade people of the truth concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. As they were coming there, he would say, okay, let's let's go here. And he'd, he'd turn them to a passage. Who knows? Might have been using some of the, the prophecy sections that we were using last week, but I got a feeling he was pointing probably to the Messiah more than anything. Matter of fact, that's what it's all about anyway. Uh, but all those events are important in, in the Word of God. Uh, law and prophets... Uh, is what the people need to hear. And so he definitely pointed out who Jesus was and what uh, he demands. So, so the key is being used by Paul. The key was going to be used by Peter to open up the kingdom. We know in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the preaching of the Word of God to the people that were all around there um, that came from all over the world (laughs) and mostly Jewish people and there he is speaking the word of God to them from the law and the prophets and immediately was it the first day 3,000 souls were released out of uh, the bondage of sin into the kingdom of God because of that preaching of that word the law and the prophets Martin Lloyd-Jones I think I have that quote on there just before it says number two, the law. The trouble with people who are not seeking for a Savior and for salvation is that they do not understand the nature of sin. Does that make sense? That's what we have to try to get to them, that they don't understand the nature of sin, what, what they really are. It's the peculiar function of the law to bring such an understanding to a man's mind and conscience. That's what we want to do. We want to bring that truth to them. That is why great evangelical preachers 300 years ago in the time of the Puritans, yay, and 200 years ago in the time of Whitfield and others, Edwards, always engaged in what they called a preliminary law work. Giving them the law. Showing where they always fell short of the glory of God. They would preach the law. The law uh, will then make an appreciation for grace and good news and abounding grace. So, let's look at the law just a little bit about and Of course, we think of the law, we can uh, probably boil it down to, to two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Or we can boil it down to the Ten Commandments, which most people have heard of. I don't think most people probably could recite them, 
And of course, I even heard some people say that if you if you don't know the Ten Commandments, then you you're not a Christian. <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, how many things do we have to know? But the truth is, is that most people don't don't even know it. It's, I don't think it's even taught. And, and we know that in um, catechisms, that was one of the things that uh, was was taught uh, to children. It's a good thing to be able to to get those down in the head and at least get an idea. It gives a good scan of what it is. But there's a reason for that law. There's, I think the Reformers came up with three reasons, but there's one primarily that is used that Paul writes uh, to Timothy, tells him about. And see, Paul's mentioning this quite a bit. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But we know that the law is good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a law if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So as he writes Timothy, Timothy this pastor who is getting some great information that is uh, inspired by Holy Spirit from Paul. Yeah, he tells him right off off the bat that the law is used for sinners that they would see that they have sinned against a holy God. And so it's like a mirror, as James will say. Um, later in the writings, we'll probably get across that. But we see what would be here equivalent to what the commandments are as you go down through some of those particular sins. And so it's not necessarily made for a righteous person, even though there is the sense that we have the law now written on our hearts. That's a good thing. And and the law is used in a governing sense uh, in as far as nations are concerned. Well, you can't let <laughs> Did you want to expound on that? Well, I wanted And where does morality come from? Uh, Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
he saw that he uh, he himself was a lawbreaker. Although he upheld the law, that was his profession, which is an incredible. Thing. Oh yeah, he knew the law, and he was really John Paul about the law, the law, and, and then he looked at the law and saw that the law was yeah really meant. And there's an outward following of the law, which he knew very well and pretty well followed it. <laughs> but then there's that, as what she's talking about there. Then there's the inward sense for those people. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, they're very well aware. I, I've heard of people who've talked to um, to Muslims, and and they say, "Yeah, yeah." I, uh, matter of fact, I'm on my way to commit adultery right now. I've heard a guy say that, and 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 he said it to a Christian, and and the Christian said, "Well, how is that between you and 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 your God?" And he says, uh, "It's not good," but uh, he says, "That's what I'm going to do." Yeah. Um, he knew that he was breaking the law, but there was something that he didn't have any power over to, uh, to have victory. Uh, we do that all the time, even as Christians. It, it, Christians still yeah. break laws, don't they? Uh, uh, the law of God. Well, sometimes, I mean, a lot of times, before we even do it, I'm going to do this anyway. And, you know, that, and, and that's the third use of the law that the Reformers... Uh, call that uh, in the sense that Christians still have the law here. It, you know, it, it doesn't save us, but it does, it, we're told not to do certain things. You know? And so those things are still applicable to us, but yet with it being written on our hearts, now we have the power to not only outwardly defeat sin, but now inwardly. And that's well, a difference and, and what than what we're used to be. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, and you know, the law is convicted, and we're convicted, and, and yeah, we may do it anyway, but, you know, it's going to be less and less, because it's not as much fun. Yeah. And, and, and the understanding the nature of sin is... Let's turn to Romans 7, 7, a classic that comes from Paul. Of course, here is one, if there's ever a righteous man, it had to be Paul, right? You remember Philippians, as, as he states there that uh, a Jew of Jews, a tribe of Benjamin, I mean, this, this guy had a Pharisee of Pharisees, and uh, here he finds out what really happens to people like him. They need to discover this truth. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. And that's the point. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. And he thought he knew the law, as Audrey was just saying there. But the law of the, the definite meaning of what's underneath and, and offending a holy God. Yeah, for I, would, I was going to say, don't you think it comes from, uh, like, like you were saying about the person you were talking about, like he knew the law, yeah. but it comes down to when you realize who it's from. Yeah. You know. that's, 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 that's the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, he knew that that Tenth Commandment ever since he was a kid. He knew that. But it didn't really get to him inwardly what it really meant 
and and um, see that is kind of a coveting is kind of like a bridge to other sins like uh, stealing for instance if one is going to steal well they had to they coveted first before they even did that act or adultery uh, looking upon a woman and then then committing that act well one coveted before that happened and what's that mm-hmm so it, it, it affects a lot of the things. And, and that's what got to Paul. That's what really got to him. Because if anybody was said uh, dealing with murder, of course you know what he would have thought. Of course, Jesus clarified what murder was. If we have a, um, a hateful thought about somebody, we've just murdered them, right? Um, Jesus clarified that. But Paul, I mean, outwardly looked good and clean and all that. Let's go back to uh, Psalm 19. It's a, a great chapter on the Word of God. Verse 7, after he talks about the heavens, how they're proclaiming the glory of God. Verse 7, he gets into a section now dealing with the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul. And it really comes down to um, how one is as they're dead in sins. Ultimately, we know that's, that's really what we're taking out of our death, but it restores our soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I think at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, where Paul talks about Actually, Christians, you know, there are not many mighty, not many noble, uh, not many wise, but then God is the one then through His Word and through His Spirit starts making us wise to what His Word is about. And uh, so that's what the Word of God does. Um, Jesus used the law. And we know that uh, if Jesus used it, there must be something to it, right? Luke 10. He gets a guy coming up, you know, asking a question. Happens to be a lawyer. Speak, yep. Well, we'll deal with the law. We're picking on the lawyers. A lawyer stood up, put him to the test. They're always doing that, right? Saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty well said, right? That's the Ten Commandments wrapped up in basically two. And uh, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And there's a problem. Do this and you will live. There hasn't been anybody that's really ever been able to do that. And live. And so Jesus puts it forth. He's saying, okay, follow those. Um, and then, the, of course, the man tries to justify himself, and that's where Jesus says uh, about the neighbor, do uh, you want to know what the neighbor is? <laughs> and then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We could go into that, but let's go on to chapter 18 of Luke. Luke 18. Jesus would further define what it really meant. From what they took from the outside and what they felt good with, Jesus then would take the knife in and explain 
explain what it really meant. Uh, that's where they got conked in the head with the use of the law. Here's the rich young ruler. Ruler, uh, verse 18, uh, questioned him saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The man wasn't calling him God, uh, but he didn't recognize him as good. He is good and he is God. He said, Why are you calling me that? You're not thinking of me as God. You know the commandments, and he doesn't list them all here, but pretty well gives the idea of what it's about. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. He still really didn't follow the law, even though he thought he kept them. And Jesus pointed to, uh, again, where the problem was uh, at. Uh, He was a sinner. And most people would like to think that they've done pretty good. And we'll probably. Well, he says one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. Okay, he's a rich man. He has everything going for him, but he knows that he's he's missing something here. He wants he wants uh, he would like to have eternal life. Um, what what should I do? I, I've done all these things, and uh, you're saying something here a little different. Um, Jesus says, well, follow the Ten Commandments, follow the law. Well, no, we know that nobody can do that. But what is what is the thing that he can't do? He can't. He can't follow Christ. He can't give up everything that he has to follow Christ. And of course, Christ is the key. He is the door. He's the way to get into the eternal kingdom. All those things were idols. It was idolatry. Things that he was holding back. Go ahead. Covenant. Yes. Definitely. He couldn't do that. He couldn't give up everything because... He really was. Almost the end. He really was. He just, he just superficially appeared to have thought he was, but his, his heart was still coveting all his stuff. He wasn't giving up his stuff. He turned around and walked away. He was giving up his stuff. Well, how about the guy that says, or the lady who says, well, you know, you say, well, um, have you ever lied? No. And you can ask them again, are you sure? Have you ever stolen a pencil from mine? And say, no, I've never stolen anything. Okay. Have you... Um, what's, what's another good one? What's another good one? Where can you give that? Huh? Have, have you ever had... Okay, let's, let's say, have you ever committed adultery? And they'll say, no, no, I never have. And you can say, have you ever thought wrong? Or, or, or thought wrongful, lustful thoughts? Oh, no. Now we know better. But, you know, whether it be, um, have they ever stolen anything? Have they ever lied? Not even a white lie? You've never done that? Mm, No, never have. Now we know better, don't we? We know, but the thing is, okay, if that be the case, then let's take them to what the Bible says and say, okay, well, I know what God says in His Word because He says in Romans 3 that there is no man good no one seeks after God, and uh, all of sin falling short of the glory of God. So therefore, we have two people here, God and you, and one of you is lying. <laughs> and God can't lie. 
Right? That's an attribute of God. So it's you, and you've just broken the commandment that deals with lying. Yeah. I mean, they have to see that God is holy. And yes, they have sinned. They've broken all of that. Right? They've broken all of the law. Um, of course, you can get to get a get a person sometimes if you want to say, "Well, have you ever have you ever lied before?" And they'll go, uh, "Yeah, probably. Yeah, I've I've lied before." Well, what does that make you? Uh, they don't want to say it. They say, "Well, if I lied to you, what would you call me? Uh, a liar." Well, what does that make you? A liar. Okay, you're a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Uh, yeah, as a kid, I, I I stole an apple from the neighbor's tree, but that that's not too bad, right? And, uh, but what does that make them? Well, it makes them a thief. Now, what are they? They're a thief and a liar. Have you ever committed adultery? Oh no. Well, have you ever looked upon a woman and lusted? Well, we all do that, right? Uh, well, but. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on. Okay, I won't go any further. Now, well, we got, we got an adulterer, a liar, and a thief. And if you're standing before the holy God of the universe, who is the judge, is that going? Even though they seem little to you, what are you before a holy God who has never committed any sin and you have just broken His law? What are you? You're guilty. You are guilty. That's right. We've we've broken those. Yes. By the way, we are as bad as they are. But we are as bad as they are. Yeah. That's that's easy to do, isn't it? Yeah. But it's God's standards. And I, isn't that the whole point? We have to look at, at God's standards. And it's finally going to come all the way back to here again. And that's why the law and the prophets is where it's all at. What we dealt with the last two weeks are questions that people commonly will ask. And those are good they're good bait. For us to take them in to eventually, we want to get them to the truth. But if you, you know, they can say, well, why, if God is such a good God, why is there suffering? We talked about that. We pretty well spent most of the, the time on that. But th- that's a good one because that's the one is used very much. And, and we arrived at, there are probably really a lot of answers. Um, and, and a lot of answers we don't know. But where we really want to take them. And this is, this is why it's been taking so long, but this is where we want to take them. We want to take them to the Bible. And they can say, well, I can't believe the Bible. Well, you can, you can kind of show them some props, but if they don't want to hear the truth, uh, then that's another thing. You, you can't convince them of that thing, but you can say, and if, you're, if you only have about two or three seconds with them, you can tell them, okay, you've offended a holy God. God is holy. He is just. And He will judge you for your sins as He does everyone. And boom, if they're gone, they're gone. But the thing is, that is what they really are uh, supposed to hear. It's Stephen in the book of Acts. Remember his great sermon and he wound up getting killed? (laughs) Uh, Israel was resisting the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 51. And then he gets into 53. Stephen's preaching. 
Stephen becomes a martyr shortly after this. But you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, they, the, the law was brought to them. You know, we think of Moses, but God used angels in that some way. And, and, but he says that you had it. You had the law. Uh, you can look at all the nations, <laughs> but yet you, Israel, rejected, spurned God's word, and you had it, and um, you didn't keep it. Nobody keeps it. But all these people that say, well, I, I'm not so bad, and they start comparing it with others, they still haven't kept the law. Nobody does. That's why when we look at, at Paul, we know he wrote much on that issue. Romans 3, the famous one, I probably used it a while ago, verse 19 and 20. After he says there's none righteous and everybody's a sinner, in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law, here we go, comes the knowledge of sin. Boy, that hits it, doesn't it? So, but when we're talking to somebody about if we don't explain to them hand in hand about redemption and about Christ, we're doing them a disservice. Oh, yeah, you, 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 that's where it's pointing. Yeah. They have to have the bad news so that now they can understand why the good news is there. What's happened in the modern evangelical church? They say Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus loves you. Well, those things are, you know, they, those can be true. But the fact of the matter is, if they don't tell them, first of all, what's the bad news? Well, that doesn't even really mean too much to them. Oh, or they can say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll join. I'll sign up. Give me a, Where do I sign up at? You know? But, but you're right. We, we have to give them grace. And that's what we want to do. But, but they can't understand how good that grace is until they see their sin is abounding. Because grace abounds even more. Yeah, first you have to show them they're not good enough to go to heaven on their own merit. But at that point in time, a lot of them don't stick around long enough to hear the word, but that's just part of it. Yeah, they may not want to hear that. Who wants to, that's what I say. Who wants to hear this? This is not a popular message. They think they're good enough. They don't. And, and the church today, the, the religious people are beating that. Well, there's still a many about the unhappy Jesus guy that will make them you know, richer and happier yeah. and whatever because they have the whole in their life too. Yeah. But they don't want to hear about how miserable they are because of their own sins. They just, you know, just give me this
seems to be or whatever, or, you know, being stuff like that she's aware It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading the gospel. I have been how often people ask Jesus a question and they never receive a direct answer to that question. Instead, he told them what they needed to hear, not what they were wanting to know. I was reading a, a passage where the disciples came to me and asking about the, the worshippers who were killed, offering their sacrifices in the sanctuary by Pilate. And he could just feel waiting for an explanation why this happened. Mm-hmm. And all Jesus says is, you watch yourself and go sin, or you're going to have the worst thing than that happens. And then he points out another thing. And you have the same thing. And that's just kind of over and over. I, I feel like he's kind of our pattern. In that we don't yes. always, like I said one night, we don't have the time to answer some of these questions that people ask that they're not the right questions. They don't need to worry about why they're suffering and all this stuff. What they need to do is to move on to Yes, it's to be God, to be themselves, and to be a savior, and to be and you want to you want to meet their needs, and and there is a drive for that. And if we can, I mean, if there are physical needs that we can meet, you know, and it can be helpful, that's good. You know, we can touch base with them, and we want to get on that level. But I mean, we want to take it to this right here because this is what the, is the most important news they can ever hear. Yeah. Well, if the person is ready to receive it, they're you know they're going to receive it. I remember you know just being a fairly new Christian. I remember Bart Larson's Bible study that he gave me. He said, "Look through this. It's a Bible study for Catholics." And when I when I first started that thing, I was offended. <laughs> I was insulted. I just couldn't tell you the gamut of emotions that went through. But as I worked, it, I stuck with it anyway. And he wanted me before he published. He wanted me to write down what my thoughts were to it and everything. He's made some, some different changes on it as a result of the input of a lot of people. But, it, but as I worked through it, the, you know, my heart was ready. And I kept going. And I realized, wow, this is right. You know, he talks about purgatory and then he takes you to different places. He's talking about Mary. It takes you to different places. Like, wow. You know, and it was... But it was because my heart was ready, because I was offended at first. But despite that, I wanted to keep going. So if a person's heart's not ready, you know, if it hasn't been prepared by the Spirit, then it's not that person's time, no matter what you do. Well, you just said, hit it right on the head. Uh, we can give it, but we sure can't change anybody. It's going to be God that's preparing that heart, and that's preparing the soul. That's what makes offering it so difficult because most of the people that you offer it to are going to reject you. At least that's what it feels And we'd rather be friends with them and, and yeah. not to be thought of as nice some ogre or something. Well, when I it's different too if you're actively seeking, I think, like I was, versus staunchly 
Catholic and really I don't want to hear what you have to say. I guess that makes a difference too. But, um, Can I interject something here? When I read things like this, and I should certainly be disagreeing at all with Martin Luther King, I know. <laughs> but the sort of people who are speaking for Savior and Father, who they do not understand major things. Many of you know the story of, of me when I first came to a saving knowledge of Christ. I didn't know the nature of really. I mean, I had this, this sense, probably as a teenage girl, probably that everything was all wrong with me. But that wasn't my problem. You know, I mean, I just, because of my circumstances in life, everything was wrong with me. But my problem didn't have to do with me at that time when I so you put this by society, you were not cast anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. And when he prayed with me, I was thinking about this this morning. When he prayed with me, it's like, it's not like, oh, my sin is rolled away. It's like, wow, there is life. I was dead. I mean, I didn't realize even that at the time. But there was a, it's a totally Whatever it was. <laughs> whatever that was. Oh. 
Have you guys noticed too, as you become more and more knowledgeable about God's Word, how more sensitive you are to sin than you were when you first became a Christian? When I thought, well, yeah, just because I know more of what sin is, now I know that I. It seems like I sin a lot more now than I did before. But sin is so okay in the secular world. I mean, well, yeah, the word, the word, the Billy Joel song. Well, let's take a, take a look. Let's go to let's go to Galatians. Go go to Galatians 3:24. Paul here gives um, a purpose of the law, and of course you have uh, from 3:19 on through 22. Uh, 22 says, But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, verse 23, we're heading verse to 24, okay? Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. It held us in bondage, okay? It, was, it kept condemning us. Now, here's, here's where it opens up, verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to what? To lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That's how we get that, that um, the faith that's transferred, uh, that's given by God to us, granted to us. Uh, it's like one who takes us to school, uh, the uh, schoolmaster, uh, one, the paedagogus. And they would be taking them, they would be responsible for that, um, that child of a family. And they'd take them to school, bring them back anyway. They would lead them there. And that's what the law is. It's a tutor, um, in, in my translation it says. But um, um, all the way to adulthood, that's what this tutor would do for that child. So the law leads us to Christ. However, your situation is, God was using that. You already knew that there was sin there. You know, in the sense that you knew that you were different than a holy God. That the pre work of the law had already been done. And so, whenever you see that there's a cleansing, now it's making an impact that, sure, there, there is still what has to, well, if there has to be a cleansing, I mean, there's something there that's, that's dirty, has to be taken away. You didn't. Did you get the depth of what sin meant? Probably not. But if you could see, if one can see that God is holy, and I am not, and I have to turn from my sin, and that's where repentance comes in. That'll be a later study. Yeah, you would you would like to turn from that. You're saying, Oh well here's where he's putting me, here's where I'm at, and I wouldn't go back there. You turned from that. There was that was the repentance that is granted. Uh you're trusting in one who cleanses that sin. Uh so however it may happen, sometimes where you see that the jailer says uh, to Paul, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And what does he say? He doesn't give us the whole thing that what we've been talking about. He says, what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. And he said, well, Dennis, that looks different than what you're saying here. Well, sometimes people already know that they sinned against God, that they really are sinners. And you don't have to spend a lot of time or hardly any time at all. They're crying out now that the Lord has already planted that out or plowed it out, I mean. And uh, you know, as he plants in you know these these gifts to us, uh, grace, and everybody has maybe a different story to tell, but still, yet we it, it still comes down to we become aware a little more than ever before that we we were sinners. We needed God's grace, but, you know, and 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 that's where God's grace came in a situation. And you say, well, I don't even I didn't really even do anything. Remember, as as He has chosen chosen us before the foundation of the world, that God is going to draw you to Him, and how He does it is, um, you know, maybe different ways. But when it comes down to it, we still had to be taught that uh, the the law, and, and and you may not know very much about it at all. God is just a friendly little grandpa that you ask for you know, some money and candy and stuff. He's a holy God. Right. right. If he could, yes. Yeah, and Jesus, well, he was just a buddy. He was a fun loving little guy who makes you happy. And the holiness of God is just totally missing. It took a long time for me to get that. One of the things he said has been a long time ago, he said that, that the difference between us and God would be like the darkest of dark nights where you're like like going into um, a cave where there is no light at all and comparing that to the noonday sun. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Because I had been to uh, Mammoth Cave and they turned the lights off and you can't Yeah, that was, that was incredible. That was my first glimpse of the Holy God. There's a daylight. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, however we, we see Him, you know, we. Jesus can mention one or two commandments or quite a few of them. Uh, James in chapter 2 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. And then he mentions, uh, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder. Um, but whatever you've done, you've, you've broken them all. It's like a, a football player, a receiver who catches a pass, he's out in front of everybody, goes all the way down the field, scores a touchdown, 99 yards, and the referee throws a flag. And no matter how well he did, if one of his blockers was holding somebody, it's a holding penalty, you've got to bring the whole thing back. And so therefore, um, probably a terrible analogy, but everything is broken. The whole law is broken. That's what James puts forth. And so people can 
say, well, they've kept the whole law or they've done pretty good. Uh, most of them, they've kept five of the commandments or whatever. Um, we know just by action. And of course, you look at Paul. That's, that's our nature. Now, intellectually, you know, how, how much do we know of that when we first become a Christian? I think it's just making them aware that <laughs> there's a holy God here and there is uh, repentance to be done and faith and... And believing and repenting. I, well, overtime? Is that what we want to do? Let's go overtime tonight. I think we have. I know. That's that's where this fits in with that, doesn't it? It's And it's like leaving on this note, here we've had all the bad news and we haven't even offered the gospel of grace. We know that. We'll come back. We try to emphasize that grace, don't we? But, um, you know, Truly, not only is it something that can help us in saying, okay, whenever, um, if I'm speaking to somebody who needs to hear this, and, you know, we become a little squeamish, or, you know, and the Lord's going to have to work out that timing. It may not even be that timing. The whole thing is, is first of all, it makes us stronger just to be even thinking about that. And to go back on, how did that work with me? You know, uh, I can't even hardly remember exactly how the Lord did with me. I was about 11 years old if that be the case and it may not even be the case it might have been later I have no specific time that I can really pinpoint it um, but I, I do know that as I thought about it you know, you're talking about the sin thing there was a somewhat of a conviction there it was a revival and uh, I, I knew that I wasn't right but as a, as a kid how much did I really know that theologically enough to know that I'm not right. Something has to be done. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's it's kind of interesting to think of how God has worked all of that in us. And uh, you know, we sit here and we can just thank God for His great grace and how He drew us. And uh, anyway, I hope it'll uh, help us and opportunities that we'll have as we confront our culture that we see every day. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening and thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And may we be guided by that always and how we are to see the law and how that law has been put into our hearts now uh, through the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we know as we live in this flesh we still sin against Your law. But we pray that You would make it very well known to us that You would convict us. And You do. And of course Your Word does that. We want to be more in line with what Your will is. And we thank You for that work that You do in us. Sometimes it's painful. But we're thankful because You're shaping us into the very image of Jesus Christ, Your Son. And that is grace. And we pray that we can uh, take this news, the bad news, the good news, to the lost who are really, truly needing it and help us be attentive to the ones who uh, need it at the time. And praise You for Your great glory, Your holiness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, yeah.